before we uh, continue with our subject which we had started last time just a word about chomdi who passed away yesterday and it's a beautiful life lived beautifully in her wings and left also very beautifully two days after her birthday going for work till saturday it's a very beautiful way to pass away now speaking with someone holding hand speaking of the beauty of love and next moment gone no struggle no suffering of that kind so of course uh, i'm sure she she had the work of looking after mother's room and now she is from mother's room she has gone to mother's heart which is a beautiful place to dwell and live it was a strange unique experience for me personally so i thought i'll share because uh, i have seen several times in the ashram context especially that um, just when the time draws near there are indications there are sometimes even ways and means that the mother works upon each one as if the working becomes very intense of course that is a whole story by itself but it's interesting to see how she works in so many ways in each one of us and it was of course as i said she had hardly moved out of pondicherry except once she came i think at the age of 3 and moved out once at the age of 18 that too when her mother was not well and then it was difficult for her to move even to oroville or go up to nehru street was a difficult thing so i'm sure when she leaves she would not go to any of the worlds but go straight to her heart because she knew nothing else so it's a very well lived life very beautifully she had just turned 77 and probably had some kind of a premonition inwardly to outwardly it must have been unaware because i asked her what do you want on your birthday and she said nothing of course that is a usual reply all who live here are so inwardly full of mother's love that sometimes one is at a loss even to say what do you want because what can one want after receiving mother's love so i suggested that i get a fan for her in desire because it's very hot and ac is not allowed so i said we can get a fan for you extra so you can try the fan uh, this was two days before the birthday and she said no but in any case i'm going home very soon though outwardly she mentioned about going home this home very soon but i was surprised because i had been telling her that you are not going before 15th august for sure and i would be happy if you stay here so this struck me very strange why did she mention i am going home very soon and um, it kept on ringing in my head for some time though i know outwardly she would have meant going to this home but something within clicked with that that probably somewhere deep inside we are aware of things that i am going home and of course uh, to the home of the wonderful so this of course just a word last time we were speaking about conquest of the adverse forces and the mother has given a number of ways not just one way one of the ways which we read last time is 
to regard them as some something different and there are so many things but one thing which she says very categorically is not to start fighting with them it's they're querulous people and you know if you quarrel with adversity it, it loves to quarrel it wants to engage you in that and by doing it it saps away your energy this is their game plan so many of the stories we see in all these great epics that it's their purpose they want us to somehow get embroiled and entangled with them that's why mother gives some very nice solutions one place she says is go past the adversary don't take notice of him just ignore him he's there but just just go past it another place he says laugh at the adversary it disarms the adversary very difficult it requires tremendous inner trust on the divine not an easy task but nevertheless if we look into these various methods we find that they can be categorized into two main methods one is the vedantic way the way of knowledge when we meet with the adversary and adversity this is the way of knowledge and the other is the tantra method the way of shakti and so i thought we'll read little bit from either of them being uh, shobindo's um, 6th may as we know is the day when shobindo was released from alipur jail exactly one year after he went in 5th may he was arrested and 6th may he was released so this was a moment of adversary adversity and this is the difference between the great ones who show us the way with their example and us who struggle with the sphere of mortal thought adversity comes to everyone if you look at our scriptures gods incarnate avatars vibhuti saints every everybody meets it's not nobody is marked as an exception but an egocentric thought thinks that i am marked out specifically for adversity it's not true perhaps those who are closer to god may be more marked out if at all <laughs> because adversity adversity and the adverse forces serve a purpose of making us more sincere and strong this is their purpose so when the divine chooses to make us an instrument then he marks us out shubindra speaks of that in essays on the gita and we see how arjuna was dealt with and when someone asked mother i want to be like champaklal so mother suddenly said really ask him do you know how difficult it has been for him <laughs> so nobody everyone knows uh, such a joy beauty so much you know such a tremendous uh, rarest of rare privileges and boons but she said it's very very difficult ask him he will tell you because the divine consciousness brooks no imperfection there can be no scope for error and imperfection and Uh, self indulgence it had gone to that extent that champaklal ji could had to forego many times he would eat less so that he can he doesn't have to rush to the toilet which may come in the way of his service to the master and how he suffered that at that point when shurbindo fell down he was not there it you know this this kind of a service it's not an easy thing so uh, it's a special preparation and everything has its role to play so adverse forces also have their place to play in the great cosmic scheme and therefore they are allowed 
So the way is to see oneness and the mother says repeatedly that Shirobindo insisted on oneness. In fact, she says Theo is the one who created this that there are adverse forces and even in ancient yogas we see it. That there are the adverse forces and there are the good forces. But there is something which goes past both into that plane where there is oneness and one sees only the one divine and nothing else. Everything is a mask of the divine. Death is a mask. Falsehood is a mask, ignorance is a mask and then one begins to see actually the truth behind appearances however dark they may be. And this we find in Shurabindo's famous, as I said, 6th May is the day when he got released and during this period when he was in jail. This is a singular example of how one can turn the greatest adversity into a greatest opportunity. So this is a little portion from his prison tales for one who seeks the yogic state crowd and solitude should mean the same so it's the very first thing you know first step is when we seek solitude it's a natural tendency when we seek god we seek solitude because everything is a distraction but the next step is when in crowd we can experience the solitude and we can experience God's presence. Indeed, the weakness dropped off within very few days and now it seems that the mental poise would not be disturbed even with 20 years of solitude. In the dispensation of the all good, Mangal may even out of evil cometh good. So this is another mantra Shivabindu is giving us, his great sutra, to always have this Mangal Shraddha that even out of evil good comes because ultimately it is the good with a capital G that stands behind creation. It's an act of, it's a divine act. So it turns everything out of worst, it will turn it into the best. But of course we have to wait for the time, it takes time. That's what we are not willing to wait. The other purpose was to give me this lesson that my yoga practices would not be done by my personal effort, but that a spirit of Shraddha and complete Atma Samarpan were the road to attain perfection in yoga. So this is another thing which Shubindu says very clearly. Many people make Shubindu's yoga as a yoga of Ghor Tapasya. But Shubindu himself at a point discovered that this yoga cannot be fulfilled just by your personal effort but by surrender and Shraddha, faith and surrender. And whatever power or realization the Lord would give out of His benignity, to accept and utilize these should be the only aim of my yogic endeavor. The day from which the deep darkness of ignorance began to lessen, I started to see the true nature of the all good Lord's amazing infinite goodness as I watched the different events in the ward. Now I'll read this line again because you know when we put it in a context, she's not writing this in Himalayan solitude where somebody says the Lord is all good. But he's writing this in the solitary prison's confinement. And look what a description it is. The day from which the deep darkness of ignorance began to lessen, I started to see the true nature 
of the all good Lord's amazing infinite goodness as I watch the different events in the ward. So we look at the world and we cannot find anything. Shubhendra is watching it in a prison ward. What is he seeing? Most of the time a blank. And some prisoners who are suffering and the jailers who can be pretty cruel. Some ants. Maybe a bird or two here and there and a tree. And later on the cow shed and the prison bars. This was his and that solitary position, the, the tumbler and the blanket. These were the things he was watching. And looking at these objects, Shobindu discovered the infinite goodness of the all good Lord. There is no event, great or small, or even the smallest, from which some good has not accrued. He often fulfills three or four aims through a single event. So unlike we have a linear thinking. So we think if I do this, this will happen. If I do that, that will happen. And it's all connected to I. But the divine doesn't work like that. He looks at it that with this event, so many things will happen at the same time. Simultaneously. And therefore he looks at whole thing in a very different way, strange way. I mean, that story of Barbaric, it's amazing. I mean, if you really look at it, Bhima has to sacrifice his son. Then he has to also sacrifice his grandson. And what a grandson, who was so Mayavi that with three arrows he could shoot the entire Korva army. But he has taken a strange vow that I'll take the side of he who is losing. So he takes it, it's a very interesting story. So he takes it into himself that well, ultimately I am going to fight for the Pandava. They are the losing side. So Krishna meets him on the way and says, where are you going? He says, I am going for the great war. Whom are you going to fight for? He said, the losing side, which is the Pandavas. He said, but who told you that Pandavas will lose? He said, it's obvious. So Krishna says, it's not so obvious. I am on their side. I am Krishna. Now this has never struck him. This... He says, do you really believe that if I am on the side of the Pandavas, they can ever lose? He says, no. Then you will have to fight for the Korvas. Now he doesn't understand how to resolve this dilemma. And before that, Krishna tests him. He says, how are you going to fight with these three arrows? He says, well, one arrow and it will mark out all those who have to be destroyed. So Sri Krishna puts a leaf below his feet. Quietly, and he says, Show me, I don't believe it. So he puts an arrow all around, and all the leaves he marks in the region. He says, Show me, can you mark out all the leaves and finish them? So he marks all the leaves, and all the leaves are destroyed, but there is one below Krishna's feet, and the arrow goes underground and comes through Krishna's feet, piercing through the leaf. So he knows that this man can do it, and then the rest of the conversation follows. So he says, what do I do then? He says, well, now there is only one way for you and it's the way of sacrifice. And he sacrifices himself. And in the process, it's a very amazing story which works on many levels. And in the process, this man, Bhima's grandson, becomes immortalized. Sri Krishna says, now you have become one with me, so you will have the same name as mine. So he is worshipped as Shyam. 
His name is the same as one of the names of Krishna. In Rajasthan, if you go, there are temples dedicated to Shyam, Shyamji. That's how they call him. And he becomes a kind of strange immortal entity with a divine vision. He could see oneness from that moment onwards. So in the whole battle, he sees that there is neither Kauravas nor Pandavas, but Krishna's Sudarshan, which is destroying everyone on both sides. So this is one event. But in this event, there is another repercussion. The other repercussion is that this man, as well as Ghatotkaj, if you see their lineage, they came from an utter Rakshasi family. They were Rakshasas, basically. Rakshasi Hidimba was married to Bhima. And this is the end of that clan. With the end of that clan, that entire Rakshasi element is absorbed back into Krishna. They have sacrificed themselves for the sake of the Lord. But there is a third repercussion. And in the battle, not only many people from the Kaurava side have to die, but many Rajasik egos from Pandava sides, they have to also die. And if this man went and fought, that won't be possible. So we see simultaneously with one act, in, in every, every action we see that, and Mother and Shubhinda have repeatedly said that, that there are many, many aspects which are interconnected and the Divine sees it. I heard a very beautiful story of the mother. Of course, every story is very beautiful. That someone who was in the ashram and lived as an inmate who had not got married, decided to get married. And then, as was the, well, the beautiful opportunity and the privilege that everybody went for blessings to the mother on different occasions, so they stood and when their turn came, mother asked them to just wait for a while. So this man was wondering that, is mother angry? What has happened? Why am I asked to wait? <laughs> All that was crossing his mind. But after the whole queue was over, mother asked them to come and gave them blessings. So they didn't understand that what was so special, why they were, they thought maybe mother will say something or she will express disappointment or give some special blessing, something. She said, no. They asked mother, she said, no, when you were pursuing the path alone, there was one kind of gifts that were given to you. But when you walk together, there is another line of yoga that has opened. So I had to take away all that, give you something else which is needed to walk the path. Now this kind of a vision where simultaneously she sees the entire movement of creation, the whole interconnectedness and then acts. And Shubhinda is reminding us that, that through each event, God fulfills many things. When Shubhinda comes to prison, it's not just about Shubhinda, it's also about the, the revolutionary movement, it's also about Milanli Devi, it's also about many things that have to happen subsequently. As he is himself revealed that, I have brought you to the prison. So, he discovers that. We frequently see the working of a blind force in the world. Accepting waste as part of nature's method, we ignore God's omniscience and find fault with the divine intelligence. The charge is unfounded. The divine intelligence never works blindly. There cannot be the slightest waste of his power, rather the restrained manner in which, through the Minimum of means, he achieves a variety of results is beyond the human intelligence. So there is never anything which is wasted because we see waste in terms of results. 
So there is a very well-known story. I am sure everybody must have, many of us may have heard of it. And it's the story of uh, that a man was going uphill and he didn't, beyond a point, the path was blocked by a kind of a huge boulder. So he doesn't know what to do. And he hears a voice of God inside or above, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the essence of the story is important. Push. So he thinks that, you know, God wants me to push this boulder and the path will open. So he tries to push. Nothing happens. So he tries harder, harder, harder. And he keeps hearing, push harder, still harder. He gets exhausted finally. After he is terribly exhausted, he says, there is something wrong. So much time I wasted, so much effort. And then he sees there is a little path which had, he had not noticed. So he says, ah, I wasted my time. So he just goes, bypasses it and goes to the other side. And he says, God doesn't know how to guide. He doesn't have practical wisdom. Doesn't he see that there was a small path he could have shown me earlier? Why did he make me push against the boulder? And then he hears God's voice again. Do you really feel you have wasted this time? Look at your muscles. Look at your stamina. Look at your strength. You need all this to go further up. And had I not brought this obstacle on the path, you would not have been ready to cross the, the huge mountain. So you were going in your own masti and I had to, you know, do this. We see this so many times, even again in Ramayana, Sampati's wings are burnt. But in the bargain he gets the power of seeing far distances. And this comes to his aid much later. This becomes a boon for him. So there are so many such stories that he achieves a variety of results. Then Shubhinda says something very interesting, which very few people take note of. Like, we have heard about Shubhinda's nirvana. Now normally we feel after that, it's, it's a state after which nothing can happen. But this nirvana is a nirvana of your essential consciousness, of the soul. It becomes free. But it doesn't mean that the nature also becomes free. So, Shubhinda says in the jail, when he had already had the experience of stillness, troubled by mental listlessness, I spent a few days in agony in this manner. And then he sees that streams of thought begin to flow endlessly and they become uncontrolled, so much so that he comes on the verge as if there would be insanity. And then he discovers that even though there is no control over the thoughts, the intelligence is intact. And with that he begins to control the stream of thoughts. A very different kind of experience. But at the time, shaking with the terror of being overcome by insanity, I had not been able to notice that. I called upon God with eagerness and intensity and prayed to Him to prevent any loss of intelligence. That very moment... They had spread over my being such a gentle and cooling breeze. So this is where the yoga of change of nature starts. Not just, um, this yoga is in two steps we all know. One is freedom of the soul from ignorance. And this is a fundamental step. But then the working on nature which is a different thing. The sadhaka gets into that again. And he has to fight through the nature so that every part of nature can get redeemed and receive the same touch of the Lord. So Shubhindu says that since that time, he experiences such a gentle and cooling breeze. 
the heated brain became relaxed easy and supremely blissful such as in all my life i had never known just as a child sleeps secure and fearless on the lap of his mother so i remained on the lap of the world mother this is where shobindo not only had the vision of vasudeva but he also experienced being on the lap of the world mother and when one of the yogis of that time if i am not mistaken it was swami vishuddhanand and of course shardama also made something similar remark when they were asked about shirbindo being in prison what is going to happen to them both made a remark which is something very similar oh he has been taken into the lap of the world mother no harm can come to him that experience afterwards on many occasions during the period of detention inquietude solitary imprisonment and mental unease because of lack of activity bodily trouble or disease in the lean periods of yoga life these have come but that day in a single moment god had given my inner being such a strength that these sorrows as they came and went did not leave any trace or touch to the mind so this is the difference between a master and us commoners master also faces adversity but bounces back upon it with the conqueror strength he doesn't drown in the flood of sorrow it touches but very soon he masters it and swims through it and whereas we drown in it and this is what makes the difference not that they don't go through it they go through the same thing from this one incident it will be clear how it was possible to live happily during long solitary confinement it was for this reason that god had brought about this situation or experience without turning me mad he had enacted in my mind the gradual process towards insanity that takes place in solitary confinement keeping my intelligence as the unmoved spectator out of this came strength and i had an excess of kindness and sympathy for the victims of human cruelty and torture and that's when we see that shirbindo developed this tremendous compassion for all who were victimized tortured in whatever way i also realized the extraordinary power and efficacy of prayer and then of course the famous experience it speaks of how he started experiencing love so after a while shubindu is given some space he is asked to come out and he can take a walk thanks to one mr dally who took upon him kindly that well he is a very educated man he should not it's not good for him to remain confined so let him be allowed 15 20 minutes subsequently 1 hour and 2 hours and shubindu describes it very beautifully as he would take the walk on one side where the jail industries on the other the cow shed my independent kingdom was flanked by these two so he laughs at the adversary that after all they have conceded him a kingdom and they didn't know that they are giving him a small space if you give god a small space he will end up conquering the whole world within you duryodhana knew this so he would not concede even five villages 
because he knew that if I give even a needle worth of space, he is going to annex the whole thing. Mother puts it differently that if you tell to God, I am yours, then the whole world cannot keep you away. So, you know, we may say it <laughs> very passingly. She doesn't use the word. She says even passingly, if God hears that, accepts it, then the whole world cannot keep you away. But of course, it may sound very delightful and it is delightful. But then he tears away everything that comes in the way. So here, he says that they had given him an independent kingdom. This was the one good thing that the English administration had done for the good of the world. That's how I look at it. To allow Shurabindo to walk. Because what happens next is a very amazing thing. Travelling to and fro, I would recite the deeply moving, immortal, powerful mantras of the Upanishads. So this is the difference. We would brood our fate. Why am I here? How can I escape? Let me try out some contact. Oh, I have a good friend, advocate, who will do this for me. Maybe I can entice the jailer. Something, somewhere. But Shurabindu is doing none of these. He is reciting the powerful mantras of the Upanishad. Much later, Shurabindu would say, when someone asked, what is the most best subject for meditation? So he says, well, one can, it depends upon different people, but the most powerful and the best subject of meditation is Sarv Khalvidam Brahman. The powerful mantra given in the Upanishad and then see, he puts it in English. All is in God. God is in all and all is God. He would, of course, put this in a more beautiful way in his poem Krishna. All he loves. All he moves. All are his. All is he. This last one is the most difficult part. So he says that he moved with the powerful mantras of the Upanishads. Or watching the movements and activities of the prisoners, I tried to realize the basic truths of the imminent Godhead. God in every form. In the trees, the houses, the walls, in men, animals, birds, metals, the earth, with the help of the mantra. People often say, where is the method in Shurabindo's writings? Here is a method given by direct example. So what is the mantra? All this is the Brahman. Sarvam Khalvidam Brahman. I would try to fix or impose that realization on all of these. As I went on doing like this, sometimes the prison ceased to appear to be a prison at all. The high wall, those iron bars, the white wall, the green leaf tree shining in sunlight. It seemed as if these commonplace objects were not unconscious at all, but that they were vibrating with a universal consciousness. They love me and wish to embrace me, or so I felt. Metals, earth, objects, we can understand. Even We don't even feel that human beings love. We want love, but we say, oh, nobody loves me. This is one pole. When we, when we think that nobody loves me, we have gone to the other pole of darkness. Whereas on this pole, the divine pole, 
Everything loves. The whole creation loves. In fact, there is nothing else but love. So these are two poles. Acute egoism tells us that nobody loves me. And there is depression. And freedom from egoism is that everything loves. There is nothing else but love. Men, cows, ants, birds are moving, flying, singing, speaking. Yet all is nature's game. Behind all this is a great, pure, detached spirit wrapped in a serene delight. Once in a while it seemed as if God himself was standing under the tree to play upon his flute of delight and with his sheer charm to draw my very soul out. Always it seemed as if someone was embracing me, holding me on one's lap. So this is his experience in the prison find it so difficult to experience it in the divine's own home. And here is his experience. The manifestation of these emotions overpowered my whole body and mind. A pure and white peace reigned everywhere. It is impossible to describe that. The hard cover of my life opened up with a spring of love for all creatures gushed from within. Along with this love, such emotions. So this is a sign that when we experience these things, we are drawing closer to God. And when we experience the contrary emotions, hatred, jealousies, oh, so and so, oh, this, that person, then it is, we are drawing away from God. So signs of drawing closer to God, Shabindu began to experience such emotions as Charity, kindness, ahinsa, etc. overpowered my dominantly rajasic nature and found an abundant release. And the more these qualities developed, the greater the delight and the deeper the sense of unclouded peace. The anxiety over the case had vanished from the beginning. Now it was a contrary emotion that found room in my mind. God is all good. He had brought me into the prison house for my good, my release, and the quashing of charges was certain. I grew firm in this faith. After this, I did not have to suffer any troubles in the jail. So this is the path shown to us. And there is another, and that we'll read very briefly and quickly. This is the path of knowledge, to see oneness everywhere. And the mother says that this is the path Shubindu used to recommend. He would not recommend see adverse forces, hostile forces, because, you know, there are a section of letters in letters on yoga and Shubindu mentions it. But after reading, people begin to say, oh, so-and-so is hostile force. Oh, somebody fell, he's a hostile force. Oh, that is an adverse force. This is a very dangerous way because we are supposed to see divine everywhere and not hostile force everywhere. <laughs> this is the, the basis of fundamental basis of yoga is to see the oneness of divine. This not to say that the hostile and the adverse forces have no reality. They have a temporal, temporary, transient reality or an apparent reality for a certain purpose. But there is a greater reality, greater truth which we have to see and impose and impress upon the mind and every fiber of the being that behind this mask there is God. That's why in Savitri, the great moment, Savitri is a 
amazing poem in many respects but one of them is that normally in typical drama we see that it builds up to a climax and after the climax comes what is called as anti climax but in savitri it's very different it builds up to a climax of love and death fighting with each other and eventually death burns away now this is the climax so normally after that there should be anti climax that means death should release satyavan and savitri should take death and uh, take satyavan and come back but after this climax it starts on to another climax i am yet to see a film or a drama with this kind of a uh, amazing theme built in within it in book 11 a totally new thing starts there is no more death because behind death there is the behind death savitri discovers the one who had worn the mask of death now she has to argue with him the case for release of satyavan so it's another kind of story which starts which is summarized in the entire book 11 and then of course book 12 is the epilogue it's not an anti climax which starts but it takes to another climax where finally the soul of satyavan is released but not just by dissolving death but by discovering the one who is behind the mask so this is the climax which we find in that but the way of shakti is different this is the oneness this gives us freedom from suffering and it gives us peace but there is other thing which we have to combine with it because otherwise we will say we will not fight against anything which is dark unconsciousness we see the divine and it's enough but darkness is we have to see the world moving from a lesser state of divinity to a greater state of divinity so ignorance is a lesser state we move towards knowledge which is a greater state and we move beyond ignorance and knowledge to a yet greater state so that's why when somebody wrote to shirbindo that all is the mother so every thing that comes to me i take it as coming from the mother he says yes the mother is everywhere even in the lower nature she works veiled but we have to identify not with the mother in the lower nature but with the mother in the higher nature so it's that's the whole journey so for that the mother gives us another way which complements this is from agenda november 23 1963 you know what lends force to the opposition is superstitious ignorance adverse forces who gives force to them we give force to them so bali had spread a story all around that whoever fights with me i'll snatch half his strength now this is a wonderful terrorized he is again an original terrorist like duryodhan is the original mafia don bali is an original terrorist he rewards freely but at the same time nobody can fight him he sucks away half the energy you know what lends force is this superstition in the sense of a sort of belief in destiny in fate it's ingrained as if woven into the human substance they have the same superstition the same superstitious belief in what is favorable to them as in what is unfavorable in the divine power as in the adverse power so we have this two kinds of faith on one side this is the divine force other side we have the adverse force no we must have faith only in the divine power and the divine force which can dissolve everything recently i was following this to the smallest detail even in those who have read shirobindo who have studied shirobindo who have understood 
who have come into contact with that region of light it's still there it's still there it's very tightly woven into the most outward and material part of the consciousness it's a kind of submissiveness which may be quite rebellious but which gives a sense as you said of something hanging over your head and shoulders a sort of fate of destiny so there is the good destiny and the bad destiny there is a divine force which one regards as something entirely beyond understanding whose delight and aims are perfectly inexplicable and the submission of accepting blindly all that happens once nature revolts but revolts against an absolute against which it is helpless and all that is ignorance so she gives us another method and the method is simply awake and will this is the path of shakti we shouldn't hunch our shoulders when adversity comes it makes us grumble terribly within ourselves and it's useless actually these two complement each other oh fate oh maybe god wants me to suffer mother says that there are three fallacies in our faith one of them is that everything comes from god so after some time they blame god for everything that happens in their life so this is a very subtle truth should not be misunderstood that everything happens comes from god in that sense he brings good out of everything which is a very different thing he wears the mask of terror and evil that is a very different thing and if we have the right attitude we can turn it into adversity into an opportunity but at the same time we should not meekly accept oh that feeling of the head rising above all that of emerging above but we are so totally enslaved to very small things the very small things of the body it has the power to weigh down on their faith and to take away its capacity for action it's a kind of attachment an involuntary and mechanical attachment to that need for sleep and that need for food and i don't mean people who love to eat or lazy people who like to sleep i don't mean even that and even this body and so the answer was awake and will and the submissiveness you know that acceptance of the worst with the idea that it comes from the lord not only that so shubindu is telling us that everything is the lord look behind the appearances but it's not that we accept every event with a sense of fatalism so this is where the vedanta and the tantra complement each other not only that but almost imagining the worst as a trial as a test to find out if you are really surrendered that's another stupidity god is giving us test if god gave test nobody would pass quite naturally so he doesn't give test the adverse forces are there for that and god is on our side to give grace marks so you know in always we hear in school there are students who get grace marks so i used to wonder what is this grace marks this is very nice sounds so good no grace marks as if there is special grace so god is on our side giving us grace marks but testing is done by other fellows so they have their job to do it and they are allowed if you need to imagine such things in order to find out if you really haven't revolted it means there is still somewhere the germ or residue of revolt 
and the fear of being selfish the fear of being rebellious it means it's still there otherwise you won't have that fear we are so small the smaller we are the more we revolt we want to break everything because we are so small when you are vast you don't need to break anything you only have to be awake and will so what shurvindo does is he doesn't revolt this way oh why god has brought me here or maybe divine has you know he doesn't do that he simply keeps willing that which he has to realize and he ends up realizing it and with that realization the prison walls crumble down because it was bound to be he had realized that it is narayana so how can narayana capture somebody in smallness so spontaneously as a consequence this is what your mother is saying when we revolt that oh it is you know god has given me i must meekly accept then there is revolt why has god put me here and then there is the seesaw shobindu went through this phase he describes that when i went to the prison i had this doubt but later on instead of fighting with all that revolting becoming angry if we take that attitude okay what i want to be to emerge above all this and then to will what i want to be to realize what i want to be and then all this will spontaneously crumble away because they have no essential fundamental reality so this is not willing that this may vanish this should disappear my enemy should fall away those who have opposed me must die this is not what is called willing because she makes it clear that is not willing that is simply desire and wishes but awake and will what you want to be and the rest will follow so this is the and one last thing one half a passage shurbindo insisted on oneness he used to say that even what we consider to be the worst adversaries are still a form of the supreme which deliberately or not consciously or not helps in the general transformation this seems to me vaster deeper more comprehensive we'll stop here continue next week